Chapter 3 of the book How to Win Friends and Influence People Chapter 3 If you are wrong, admit it. Within a minute walk of my house, there was a wild stretch of virgin timber where the blackberry thickets foam white in the springtime, where the squirrel nested and reared their youngs, and the house weed grew at tall as a horse head. This unspoiled woodland was called Forest Park and it was a forest, probably not much difference in appearance from what it was when Columbus discovered America. I frequently walked in this park with rats, my little Boston Bulldog. He was a friendly, harmless little hound. And since we rarely meet anyone in the park, I took Rex along without a leash or muzzle. One day, we encountered a mounted policeman in a park, a policeman itching to show his authority. What do you mean by letting that dog run, lose the park without a muzzle and leash? Don't you know it's against the law? He permitted me. Yes, I know, I replied softly. But I didn't think he would do any harm out here. You don't think, you don't think the law doesn't give a thinker's damn about what you think. The dog might kill a squirrel or bite a child. Now, I'm going to let you off this time. But if I catch this dog, out here again without a muzzle or a leash you have to tell it to the judge i meekly promised to obey and i did obey for a few times but rex didn't like the muzzle and neither did i so we decided to take a chance everything was loving for a while but then we stuck a snack rex and I raced over the brow of the hill after afternoon and there suddenly to my dismay I saw the majesty of the law astride the bay horse Rex was out in front heading straight for the officer I was in for it I knew it so I didn't want so I didn't wait until the policeman started talking. I beat him to it. I said, Officer, you have caught me red-handed. I am guilty. I have no alibis, no excuses. You warned me last week that if I brought the dog out here again without a muzzle, you would find me. Well now, the police responded in a soft nose. I know. It's temptation to let a little dog like that have to run out here when nobody is around. Sure, it's temptation, I replied, but it's against the law. Well, a little dog like that isn't going to harm anybody, the policeman responded. No, but he may kill squirrels, I said. Well now, I think you are talking this a bit too seriously, he told me, but I tell you what you do, 
you should let him run over the hill there where i can't see him and we will forget all about it that policeman being human wanted a feeling of importance so when i began to condemn myself the only way he could nourish his self esteem was to take the magnanimous attitude of showing mercy but suppose i had tried to defend myself well did you ever argue with a policeman but instead of breaking lance with him i admit that he was absolutely right and i was absolutely wrong i admit it quickly openly and with enthusiasm the affair terminated gracefully in my taking his side and his taking my side lord himself could hardly have been more gracious than his mounted policeman who only a week previously had threatened to have the law on me if no we are going to be rebuked anyhow isn't it far better to beat the person to it and do it ourselves isn't it much easier to listen to self criticisms that be condemnation for ellen lips say about yourself all the derogatory things you know the other person is thinking or want to say or intend to say and say them before that person has a chance to say them the chance are a hundred of one that a generous forgiving attitude will be taken and your mistake will be minimized just as the mounted policeman did with me and Rex Ferdinand E Warren a commercial artist used this technique to win the good will of the pollutants scolding buyer of art it's important in making drawing for advertising and publishing purpose to be precise and very exact mr warren said as he told the story some art editor demand that their commission be executed immediately and in these cases some slight errors is liable to occur i knew one art director in particular who was always delighted to find fault with some little things i have often left his office in disgust not because of the criticism but because of his method of attack recently i delivered a rush job to this editor and he phoned me to call at his office immediately he said something was wrong when i arrived i found just what i had anticipated and did he was hostile gloating over his chance to criticize he demanded with heat why i had done so and so my opportunity had come to apply the self criticism i had been studying about it so i said mr so and so if i was if what you say is true i am a fault and there is absolutely no excuse for my blunder i have been doing drawing 
for you long enough to know better i'm ashamed of myself immediately he started to defend me yes you are right but after all it's isn't a serious mistake it's only i interrupted him any mistake i said may be costly or they are all irritating he started to break in but i wouldn't let him he was having a grand time for the first time in my life i was criticizing myself and i love it i should have been more careful i continued you give me a lot of work and you deserve the best so i am going to do this drawing all over no no he protested i won't think of putting you all that trouble he pays my work assured me that he wanted only a minor change and that was slight error has has not cost his firm and money and after all it was mere detail not worth worrying about my eagerness of criticize myself took all the fight out of him he ended up by taking me to lunch and before we parted he gave me a check and another commission there is a certain degree of satisfaction of having the courage to admit one's error it not only clears the air of guilt and dispensive but often helps solve the problem created by the error bruce harvey new mexico has incorrectly authorized the payment of full wages to the an employee on sick leave when he discovered his error he brought it to the attention to the employee and explained that to correct the mistake he would have to reduce his next paycheck by the entire amount of the overpayment the employee pleaded that as that would cause him a serious financial problem could the money be repaid over a period of time in order to do this harvey explained he would have to obtain his supervisor's approval and this i know reported harvey would result in a boss type explosion while trying to dk decide how to handle this situation better i realized that the whole mess was my fault and i would have to admit it to my boss i walked into his office told him that i had made a mistake and then informed him of the complete fact he replied in an explosive manner that it was the fault of the personal department i repeated that it was my fault he exploded again about carelessness in the accounting department again i explained it it was my fault he blamed two other person in the office but each time i retreated it that it was my fault finally he looked at me and said okay it was your fault now straighten it out the error was corrected and nobody got into trouble i felt great because i was able to handle the tense situation and had the courage not to seek alibis my boss has had more respect for me ever since 
Any fool can try to defend his or her mistake, and most fools do. But it rises one above the herd and gave one a feeling of nobility and exaculation to admit one's mistake. For example, one of the most beautiful things that history recorded about Robert E. Lee is the way he blamed himself and only himself for the failure of Pickett's charge at Gettysburg. Pickett's charge was undoubtedly the most brilliant and picturesque attack that ever occurred in the Western world. General George E. Pickett himself was picturized. He wore his hair so long that his abundant lock almost touched his shoulder, and like Napoleon in his Italian campaign, he wrote ardent love letters almost daily while on the battlefield. His devoted troops cheered him that strategic. July afternoon as he rode off jauntily towards the Union lines, his cap set at the rashi angle over his right ear. They rang with banners flying and bayonets gleaming in the sun. It was a grand sight, daring, magnificent, a murmur of admiration ran through the Union line as they beheld it. Picket troops swept towards an any easy trot through orchard and cornfield, across a meadow and over a ravine. All the time, the enemy cannon was tearing ghastly holes in their ranks, but on that first grim irresistible. Suddenly, the Union infantry rose from behind the stone wall on the cemetery ride where they had been hiding and fired volley after volley into Pickett's unrushing troop. The crest of the hill was a sheet of flame, a slugter house, a blazing volcano. In a few minutes, all a Pickett's brigade commanders except one were down and four-fifths of the five thousand men had fallen general lives a army steered leading the troop in the final plunge ran forward vaulted over the stone wall and waving his cap on the top of his sword shouted give the steel boy they did they leaped over the wall, by noted, the enemy smashed the skull with clumped musket and planted the battle flag of the South on cemetery right. The banner waved there only for a moment, but that moment, brief as it was, recorded the high watermark of the Confederacy. Pickett's charge, brilliant, heroic was nevertheless the beginning of the end. Lee had failed. He could not penetrate the North, and he knew it. The South was doomed. Lee was so saddened, so shocked, that he sent in 
sand in his registration and asked Jeffrey Davis, the president of the Confederacy, to appoint a younger and elder man. If Lee had wanted to blame the disastrous failure of Pickett's charge on someone else, he could have found a score of alibis. Some of his division commanders had failed him. The cavalry hadn't arrived in time to support the infantry attack. This had gone wrong, and that had gone away. But Lee was far too noble to blame Mother. As pickets were beaten and bloody troops struggled back to the Confederate lines, Robert E. Lee rode out to meet them all alone and greeted them with the self-condemnation that was little short of sublime. All this has been my fault, he refused it. I and I alone have lost this battle. Few generals in all history have had the courage and character to admit it. Mikhail Chung, who teaches a course in Hong Kong, told of how the Chinese culture presents some special problem and how sometimes it is necessary to recognize that the benefit of applying a principle may be more advantageous than maintaining an old tradition. He had one middle-aged class member who had been estigraced from his son for many years. The father had been an opinion addict but was now cured. In Chinese tradition, an older person cannot take the first step. The father felt that it was up to his son to take the initiative towards the reconciliation. In an early session, he told the class about the grandchildren he had never seen and how much he desired to be reunited with his son. His classmates, all Chinese, understood his conflict between his desire and long-established tradition. The father felt that young people should have respect for their elders and that he was right in not giving in to his desire, but to wait for his son to come to him. Towards the end of the course, the father again addressed his class. I have pondered this problem, he said. Dale Carney said, if you were wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. It was too late for me to admit it quickly, but I can admit it emphatically. I was, I wronged my son. He was right in not wanting to see me and to expel me from his life. He made laws face by asking a younger person's forgiveness. But I was at the fault and it was my responsibility to admit this. The class applauded and gave him their full support. At the next class, he told how he went to his son's house, asked 
fought and received forgiveness and saw now embarked on a new relationship with his son his daughter-in-law and grandchildren he had at the last night albert hubbard was one of the most original author who ever stirred up a nation and this string sentence often arouses fires resentment but hubbard with his rare skill of handling people frequently turned his enemy into friends for example when some irritated reader wrote in to say that he didn't agree with such and such an article and ended by calling hubbard this and that hubbard would answer like this come to think over it i don't entirely agree with it myself not everything i wrote yesterday appealed to me today i am glad to learn what you think on subject the next time you are in the neighborhood you must visit us and we will get this subject trashed out for a time so here is a hand claps over the mic and i am your sincerely what could you say to a man who treated you like that when you are right let's try to win people gently and tactfully to our way of thinking and when we are wrong and that will be surprisingly often if we are honest with ourselves let's admit our mistake quickly and with enthusiasm not only with that technique produce astonishing result but believe it or not it is a lot more fun under circumstances that trying to defend oneself remember the old proverb by fighting you never get enough but by yielding you get more than you expected the principle of this chapter is if you are wrong admit it quickly and emphatically the next chapter is chapter 4 a drop of honey this we will do in our next podcast